welcome. Please take your Bible and turn to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. At this time in the worship service, we dedicate the preaching of the Word. The message this morning is entitled, The Skills of a Righteous Talker, from James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. Up until today, the main idea of James' epistle has been related to trials and temptations. Now we begin to discover a new topic in the flow of this letter, a new theme, beginning in chapter 1, verse 19, and it goes all the way through chapter 2, verse 26. And the theme of that is obedience, obedience to God's Word. Obedience to God's Word binds this, this upcoming section into a loose unity. So for the next few weeks, uh, that will be the theme in the messages to come. But for now, let's read verses 19 and 20 of James chapter 1. The word of the Lord reads, This you know, my beloved brethren. But everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. As I said, the message today is entitled, The Skills of a Righteous Talker. Our tongue is a very powerful, powerful muscle. On a horizontal or human level, it can be used to start friendships and end friendships. It can be used to start wars and end wars. It can cause conflict or make peace. Or it can inflict pain or provide healing. On a vertical level, or a Godward level, the tongue can communicate a message of fiery condemnation or eternal hope. It can divide churches or unite churches. It can completely decimate a marriage, or it can inseparably weld a marriage. And most of all, our tongue can curse God or bless God. We can do good with our tongue, or we can sin with our tongue. That's the thesis of these two verses. In James 19 and 20, he warns his readers about the sins of speech. How do you know what the sins of speech are? How do you know if you use your tongue to do good or not? Well, first of all, you have to know God's Word. You have to know what it reveals about how we should use our tongues. In the text before us today, you as a Christian are going to learn how to be a righteous talker. James here in these two verses lists three skills of a righteous talker that will cause you to be a more obedient Christian. Now remember our mission statement. We don't have it on the wall yet, but we need to do that. Our mission statement. The mission of our church is to glorify God by preaching the word, evangelizing the lost, discipling the saved, and obeying Jesus Christ, all by the power of the Spirit. This message is going to help us better live out our mission as a church. The discipline of being a righteous talker is yet another fundamental area of the Christian life. Yet it's all the more reason why we need to revisit and understand this text on a deeper level. 
Because we all battle the natural urge to sin with our tongue, don't we? Whether you've been in Christ for a day or a decade, we sin with our tongue. Therefore, we need to be confronted and convicted by this text very often so that we can become a more righteous talker for the glory of God alone. Amen? Now, before we unpack these skills, I want to draw your attention to that second verb in verse 19. Look at verse 19 again, that second verb. That verb that says, must be. Must be. If you like to underline and take notes, that is a verb to circle over and over again. Make sure that verb stands out. This verb really is the force that carries the rest of the passage. It's in the present tense, which means it's an action that is continual and ongoing. It's unceasing. It's in the active voice, which means the doer of the action, which is you in this case, the reader, is putting forth the effort, as opposed to being passive. And it's in the imperative mood, which expresses a command. Something that God intends you to do, and to fail to do it is sin. It's not a strong recommendation even. Like, you must go see that movie. I, saw, I went to the movie theater, I saw it, and you just got to go see it. Okay? That's, not, that's not the kind of imperative God is saying, he's using. He is saying that if you don't do this, it's sinful. Now, mainline English translations have tried in different ways to capture the imperativeness of this main verb. Of course, the NAS and the Holman says everyone must be. The NLT says you must all be. The ESV and NET says let every person be, which is kind of the weakest translation. Because if you say, let me do that or let someone do that, it's kind of like giving them permission, right? It's kind of like, it's, it kind of loses its force. And also the NIV says everyone should be. Well, that's not a good translation either because it also loses the imperativeness of the verb. Everyone it's not that everyone should be quick to hear. No, you must be. And if you're not, it's sin. So that little verb, as I said before, in verse 19, drives the intent behind these three skills we're going to unpack. God expects you to actively acquire these skills. They're for everyone to acquire and to put into practice right now and continue to do so. The first skill to acquire in order to be a righteous talker is this. You ready? Listen up. Very simple and practical outline today. The first skill that you need to acquire to be a righteous talker is to listen up. Verse 19. It says, be quick to hear. Quick to hear. The word quick could also be translated ready or prompt. So what James is saying to us today is always be ready to listen up. We must be careful listeners, making sure we pay attention in order to get the message right. Now, you read this, and I hope you would ask, listen to what? What do we listen to? What should, be, what should we be quick to hear? Well, first and foremost, primarily God's word. You need to be quick to hear God's word first and foremost. You always need to be ready and willing to hear God's inspired Inerrant, infallible word. 
at all times be ready to take in the word through your own study and through the preaching and teaching of it. We must take every advantage of every opportunity to increase our exposure to God's word. Now here's a few ways you could do that. A few ways to increase your exposure to God's word. Number one, you can listen to less music and talk radio and listen to more sermons and lessons on doctrine. You know, I'm not saying you shouldn't listen to music. But if you want to be exposed to God's word more and more, listen to sermons. When you're in the car, you know, we all have to drive to Redmond and Issaquah and stuff, right? Even to Duval, it takes 15, 20 minutes. Instead of listening to the radio, put in a sermon. You will be exposed to God's word. Make sure they're good sermons, though, not bad ones. That's another topic for another time. Secondly, you can read less magazines and less fiction and more Bible and sound biblical resources. Again, I'm not saying that you can't read fiction or magazines. Again, the right magazines. There's some magazines you shouldn't read. But if you want more exposure to God's word, read more Bible and read more sound biblical resources. And if you want some advice or my take on what biblical resources are, please ask. That's what I'm here for. I'm here here to help put biblical resources in your hand. Thirdly, this is a big one, especially in our culture, where our culture is not Christian. You go to South Carolina or Texas, there's a Christian culture. Here there's no Christian culture. So listen up. If you want to be exposed to God's word more and more, spend more of your social time with true, mature believers who are seeking to grow in Christ and less time with immature, professing believers and callous unbelievers. If the majority of your social time is spent with callous unbelievers and immature, professing believers, you're not being exposed to God's word very much. You're being exposed to worldly philosophy. That will not help you become a righteous talker. So primarily, we need to hear God's word. So let me ask you, do you delight in hearing God's word? Do you look forward to hearing the preaching of the word on Sunday? Do you look forward to learning the doctrines of our faith? Do you enjoy reading your Bible? Can you say with the psalmist that my delight is in the law of the Lord? We can all hear God's word more. I could preach a sermon just on that alone, but we've got to move on. We also must be quick to hear other godly people with sound biblical wisdom. Okay? Proverbs 15.22 says, Without consultation, plans are frustrated, but with many counselors they succeed. Proverbs 11, verse 14, Where there is no guidance, the people fall. But in an abundance of counselors, there is victory. So it's biblical to listen, listen up, to sound, godly counselors. Now there's so much that needs to be said about receiving counsel in this church. And a full treatment of who to go to for counsel is necessary. But it'll have to wait for another time. But for now, be aware of this. You must understand that the counselors in your life must be godly in character and biblical in their advice giving. When you are in need of counsel, 
I beg you, do not go to someone who is immoral or and and or who does not believe the Bible and know the Bible. Implication? That disqualifies secular psychological counseling from your spiritual life. Why? Because the whole foundation and framework of modern day psychology is built by those who disbelieve the Bible. Let me repeat that. The entire psychological, secular counseling philosophy is built and predicated, predicated upon the worldview of those who disbelieve the Bible. Just study Sigmund Freud, the quote-unquote father of modern-day psychoanalysis. They don't believe that Jesus is the key ingredient to life. And if you get counsel from somebody who does not believe that Jesus is the key ingredient for life, you are asking for trouble. You are asking to be led astray. You are wandering off the path, and it will fail you. The only counselors that we need are those who point us to God's word and help us apply it rightly. We can all hear God's word more. We can all listen to wise counsel more. And we also need to be ready. Listen up to this one. We always need to be ready to hear both sides of the story. Both sides of the story. Be quick to listen to both sides of the story. Listen to Proverbs 18.17. The first to plead his case seems right until another comes and examines him. That verse has been my meat and potatoes as a pastor. Wow. In pastoral ministry, I have learned the hard way more than once that bad things happen when Christians do not consider Proverbs 18:17 in the relationships of people. Listen, we're all infallible sinners. Excuse me, fallible. Fallible, we're all, we're all fallible sinners. We can err. We can our perspective can be convoluted. We can think that we were sinned against when we really weren't. So if you're in the position where you're playing moderator, peacemaker, whatever, you need to hear both sides of the story before you make a judgment. Please, practice Proverbs 18, 17. Listen up to both sides of the story. If you're quick to hear the right things, you're quick to hear God's word, godly people, both sides of the story, what comes out of your mouth, here's the point, will be righteous talk. So the first skill that you need to acquire to become a righteous talker is to listen up. We need to listen. Secondly, the second skill that you need to acquire in order to be a righteous talker is to hush up. Shh. We need to hush up. We need to do more hushing up. It's been said before that we have two ears and one mouth for a good reason, right? That's kind of a you know pithy little cute saying, but it's, it's, it's interesting. Verse 19, slow to speak. James says, be slow to speak. Because think about it. One cannot listen to God's word if he or she refuses to seal the lips. You can't listen if you're the one talking all the time, right? So James is saying, do not be hasty in talking. Do not be hasty in talking. Being slow to speak, it, it also includes the idea of being careful 
not to be thinking of your own thoughts while someone else is trying to speak God's word to you. How often have we done that? We're listening to someone speak, and we zone out because we're thinking about how we're going to respond. Hushing up also means keeping silent on the inside. Okay, but the primary idea here, just to be clear, it's not that we shouldn't talk at all, right? It's to talk at the appropriate time, using the appropriate words, which are fitting for a slave of God. The wise Christian carefully, uh, deeply cares about the speech he or she uses because the Bible gives very specific parameters with regard to how we ought to talk. And listen to this. To include the frequency with which we talk. Listen to Proverbs 10.19. Very convicting proverb here. When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. But he who restrains his lips is wise. Also Proverbs 17.28. Even a fool, when he keeps silent, is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is considered wise. Prudent. Now, this, this is a skill lacking in our culture, isn't it? This is a skill that's lacking in our culture, and it's bad. Rather than being encouraged to keep our mouths closed, what are we encouraged to do? We're, we're encouraged to vent, aren't we? We're, 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 in, we're, we're encouraged just to let people have it. Give them a piece of our mind. Our pop culture tells us to express ourselves, right? All you got to do is watch a Super Bowl halftime show. It's all about expressing yourself, your, 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 your political opinions, your beliefs, your convictions. That's the culture with which we live in, isn't it? Now, I read on a website called Psychology Today an article entitled Six Virtues of Venting. The subtitle read, Check this expert's guide before unloading your frustrations on others. Now listen to the author's view about venting. He said, Undeniably, emotional ventilation has positive features. Venting your frustrations alleviates tension and stress, and you almost always feel better and lighter. After sharing some perceived threats, Indignity, misfortune, or injustice. So he says, venting is positive. Venting's good. And then he goes on to list the virtues of venting. Now let me just give you a couple. I won't, I won't inundate you with the whole thing, but just, just listen to a couple of these. He says, failure to vent has been related to compromised health. So he goes so far as to say that if you don't vent, you're going to be unhealthy physically, mentally, and emotionally. But is that really true? Is that really true? Well, the Bible says be slow to speak. Be slow to speak. Listen, hush. The one venting their frustrations is just blurting out whatever comes to mind without thinking deeply about it, right? Consider Proverbs 13.3. Those who guard their lips 
preserve their lives. But those who speak rashly will come to ruin. So you see, here's another example about how the Bible says the exact opposite of what our culture tells us to think. Again, this is why it's so important to have a strong biblical teaching and preaching ministry. Because if you don't have that, you're just always going to be inundated with what the culture wants you to believe. And 99.9% of the time, there's a little bit of common grace in our culture, but 99% of the time, it's going to be antithetical what the Bible says. And here's an example of it. It's, it's clearly healthy not to vent. I mean, it's, it's, it's not healthy to vent. The Bible clearly says that rash words will be your demise. How often have you said something you later regret when you vent? When you just unload or unleash all your grievances on somebody? You know, even if you've been truly sinned against, how often have you thought later, oops, I shouldn't have said that? I've done it. Here's another one. Another virtue of venting. He says, venting will likely make you feel better or not quite as bad. Now think about that. But first let me say, you know, emotion per se is not bad altogether. But if one is venting, what kind of emotion is a person struggling with? If you're venting, you're typically not in a state of being overjoyed. You're typically not in a state of being happy and elated with God's blessing, are you? When a person vents, she is angry. He or she is angry, anxious, bitter, discontent, envious, depressed, discouraged, or exhibiting another type of fruit of the flesh. And guess what? The Bible says all of those are sinful emotions wrought by unbiblical thinking. Ephesians 4.31 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. So what does the Christian do when he or she is struggling with those kind of emotions. When we feel discontent, when we feel like we've been sinned against, when we feel like somebody did something to us, do we vent about it? Do we, do we let that become an excuse to having bitterness and discontentment and, th- and things like that? No. We don't vent. We repent. We repent of those sinful emotions. It's especially in those times that we have those ungodly emotions, that we must exercise the skill of hushing up. Not venting. Because the proverb says, when there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. And our venting, when we just use all kinds of words to kind of lay it out there, the Bible says, transgression is unavoidable. You will sin with your lips. So we need to listen up, we need to hush up, and thirdly, we need to calm down. We need to calm down. Calm down. Verse 19, the third skill that we need to acquire in order to be a righteous talker. We need to calm down. Verse 19 says, be slow to anger. Slow to anger. There are two Greek words for anger. 
There's thumos, which is a temporary outburst of a lost temper. Then there's orge, which is anger as an enduring state of mind or inner deep resentment that kind of smolders beneath the surface. And it goes unnoticed. The latter is the kind of anger that James is referring to here. So anger in this context and usage has to do with the kind of anger one might have that bubbles up in the mind. You know what I'm talking about? Like something just keeps happening and happens. Oh, it's really getting on my nerves. That is sinful anger too. This kind of anger tells us that sinful anger does not always require a physical manifestation. And that's why I've said before that a calm and seemingly gentle external appearing demeanor does not always mean a man never struggles with sinful anger. A man can be very good at concealing anger, but it doesn't make it any less sinful. Now, to be more precise, we can define anger in this way. Sinful anger is an emotional response to not getting your way. Sinful anger is an emotional response to not getting your way. When we become angry, it says we'll get our way. Isn't it? Even though we grew out of the temper tantrum stage a long time ago, hopefully, <laughs> we still can have an extremely emotional response when something doesn't go the way we want it to. And it reveals something about ourselves. Tips off our idol. It is the best revelation of what we really worship, our anger. One pastor said, show me what a man is angry about and I'll show you what's important to him. Very convicting, isn't it? So James reminds us here that when we learn to control the emotion of anger, we eliminate one of the most common sources of hasty, unwise speech. Proverbs seventeen twenty seven: A man of knowledge uses his words with restraint. And listen, a man of understanding is even-tempered. Even-tempered. It's when we fail to control our anger. It's when we end up misspeaking, isn't it? And how often do we find ourselves regretting the words spoken in quote-unquote the heat of the moment? But let me just say, not all anger is bad. It seems like we always have to give that disclaimer when we talk about anger, okay? There's, there is such thing as a righteous anger, a just anger, a holy indignation against Satan, against the true gospel, or against anything else that dishonors the Lord. Ephesians 4.26 says, be angry and do not sin. That's righteous anger. It stems from our passion of God's way being ignored, abused, or devalued. When those things are occurring, it's okay to be angry. Jesus is the ultimate example of righteous anger. You know, on the cross, he showed no anger. He actually prayed for his executioners. 
Crazy, isn't it? Isn't that amazing to think that the men who were literally killing him, he uttered no reviling words. He, said, he didn't call for God to call fire down and consume them. He said, Father, pray for, I pray, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. But not long before that, what happened? Jesus sees men desecrating God's temple for profit and he goes berserk. Jesus goes berserk. He flips the tables over. He forcefully drove the people out because he was livid over the debauchery that was happening in God's house, the place where God dwelt, the place where sins of the people were atoned for. It was not meant to be a place of business. So listen, it is good and right to be angry about abortion. We should be angry about the homosexual agenda that's so in your face. We should be angry about so-called pastors telling God's people that he has a wonderful plan for their lives and wants them to be rich and healthy. That should anger us. But... We cannot allow it to become sinful anger. And we know it has ceased from being righteous anger to being unrighteous anger when we become visceral towards the person. We are called to love our enemies. We are called to pray for those who persecute us. And to do good to those who hate us. And there are lots of people that hate us. It's going to be a long, hard life for the one who refuses to be slow to anger. Because not only will life be hard if you're mad all the time, the Bible says in Proverbs 14, 29, he who is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who is quick-tempered exalts folly. Proverbs 22, excuse me, 29, verse 22. An angry man stirs up strife, and a hot-tempered man abounds in transgression. So we have to be angry at the right things, but we have to make sure that that anger is directed at the thing that dishonors God and not the person. Of course, lots of self-control and wisdom, doesn't it? Anger always leads to more sin. So it's very serious. Now what do we do about our anger? I mean, because even the most mellow-minded man gets angry once in a while, right? Even the most mellow-minded woman will have some kind of anger bottling up within her. And you don't just brush it aside because it's still sin. Here are some things to do when you become angry. Number one, don't speak. Think about it. Take some time to ask, is this really worth getting angry over? Oftentimes we get upset over the most childish, insignificant things, don't we?
We start to get angry. We start to feel that, that, that temperature start to rise within our heart. And we think, that was kind of stupid to get upset about. It really wasn't that big of a deal. So if you start to feel yourself get angry, don't speak and think about it. Secondly, ask God for self-control. Ask God for self-control. Earlier I explained the use of orge, an anger that we all have from time to time that kind of swells up within us. And you know, we can hide this anger from man, but we can't hide it from God. Jesus knows our hearts. He knows when you're angry. And when you're angry, go to him, not to vent to God, but go to him in humble prayer and make an earnest plea for repentance and self-control. You know, the purpose of prayer is not to vent. The purpose of prayer is to praise God, to ask for your needs and to praise him. Thirdly, starve your selfishness. Starve your selfishness. The one who walks around thinking he deserves everything or that he's God's gift to humanity is asking for a very angry life. Because sooner or later, someone is going to disappoint him. So we need to starve our selfishness. The humble man does not struggle with anger as much as the proud man. Now, in verse 20, in verse 20, James explains why Christians should be slow to anger. Verse 20, For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. You know, all this verse is saying is that sinful anger does not accomplish what's right in God's eyes. It has nothing to do with justification. It has nothing to do with God's unmerited um, righteousness being credited to your account. This has to do with the character with which God uses right. Okay? In other words, these skills become part of the true Christian's character. Which is to say, the one who does not listen up, hush up, and calm down, does not share this communicable attribute of the righteousness of God. Now, we've discussed that word a little bit in our theology classes. Communicable just means the type of attributes that God relates to us or he shares with us. His righteousness is one of them. We can become more and more righteous like God. We're not going to be completely righteous, but we can become more and more righteous, especially in the context here with regard to our talk. Now, remember, because the, the overarching theme of the whole letter is true faith works. In other words, the result of our justification is that it has practical outworking effects, which is a righteous life. When it's truly saved, his talk will give evidence to the three skills we just discussed. So very practical this morning. We need to work on being a more righteous talker. Every single one of us. But now, allow this message to become more personal for you. And here's what I mean by that. Which of these skills do you need to work on more? I've asked myself that already. I'm not going to tell you. 
Some of you who know me will probably know what I need to work on more. But you guys also need to do an honest assessment and, and figure out which one of these three skills are you weak on. Do you need to listen up more? Instead of thinking that you have it all figured out or that you know the right answer all the time, maybe you need to listen to God's word more and listen to sound godly counsel. Some maybe need to hush up more. Instead of waiting their turn to speak, some might need to put a sock in it and keep silent a little bit more. The one who always has to have a word is, is very stubborn and prideful and is not a righteous talker. Remember, Proverbs 21, verse 23. The NLT translation says, Watch your tongue and keep your mouth shut. That's the translation. Watch your tongue and keep your mouth shut and you will stay out of trouble. And some of us just need to work on calming down. Some of us just need to be more mellow. And our mind and our outward manifestation. So as a result of hearing this message, I pray that we will all corporately together will become a more righteous talker, obedient to the word of God for his glory alone. Listen up, hush up, and calm down. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your clear written word. Thank you that you have given us an objective lesson here. I pray that all of us will be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, so that we can glorify you with our thinking and our speech. We thank you so much for our our time together. In Jesus' mighty name.